This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queros, Cami here. This week's episode is a chat with filmmakers, producers, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbato. You might know one of their productions. Well, first of all, they have a production company called World of Wonder, and World of Wonder uh, produces and, and created uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. So that's a pretty small, giant, awesome show. But um, we also talk about a bazillion other things. Um and a lot of political stuff, and I really love this conversation. I, I really love these, this conversation. What interesting people, and I hope you love it too. Thank you, friends. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. You feel, you feel good with those headphones yeah. on? Everybody's feeling relaxed? Yeah. And ready for coffee? Well, on this show, I have folks introduce themselves. Will you introduce yourself? Selves. Selves. You're not one entity. Well, single people human. Do think sometimes that we are one entity, actually. Right. Um, but no, we're different entities. I'm Fenton Bailey, uh, one half of World of Wonder, and I'm Randy Barbado, the other half of World of Wonder. And I know what World of Wonder is, but oh, could you yeah. maybe also give some context about what? what hey, is. what is World of Wonder? <laughs> <laughs> World of Wonder is a production company, uh, an independent production company, perhaps one of the few remaining uh, independent production companies that Randy and I started a long time ago. And I guess we're best known for our unscripted, like, mm, RuPaul's Drag Race. I was going to say, <laughs> you have... You have uh, an extremely big hit that I have that at the end runs the World of Wonder card. So I'm sure people have even seen it if they don't mm-hmm. realize that's. But then Randy and I really started out making documentaries. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to hear. You know, I want to hear of about this. Bay, Maple thought, look at the pictures, and oh, we just made dozens of docs. So that's what we love. I mean, we love Drag Race too, of course, and Million Dollar Listings, and yeah. we love everything we do. We we're do. we're a production company that's sort of. Um, driven by passion. And like Fenton said, we are one of the few remaining independent ones and we'll continue to be one of the few remaining independent ones because we do what we want to do. And you have a few projects that are about to come out. Do you want to name those things right now or, or talk about anything that you have coming up? We actually have a really exciting doc series on the air right now on Sundan- the Sundance Network uh, called Ministry of Evil. Uh, which we did with Peacock Productions. And it is also incredibly timely because it's about a cult and it reminds us, it's about a very scary cult. And and I think it's a a reminder of what can happen when people um, are lured in by dubious, Mm. charismatic Mm. leaders. Mm. Uh Uh-huh, sure, I you Evil get. fuckers. Du- dubious. <laughs> right. People who get uh, just so much uh, credit for their ability to speak while making no sense at all. It's just incredible the oh freedom God, yes. that that provides if you're not, if you don't, 
if you are not required mm. to ever repeat yourself, back yourself up, or make any sense, boy, can you be charismatic when you just yeah. are allowed to say but it's, anything. But isn't it strange that that's like that's where we are right now? It is now. very strange. Yeah. It's and and I'm not sure how. If we're ever going to be able to turn back, like, I mean, I think we'll be able to move forward, but I don't know where we're going to move to. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, from, no turning back. for me, sometimes it feels like it does feel a little bit like a last vestige of because because if if people are saying uh, like, oh, man, somebody who really thinks how I think, I, I don't know that that's well, actually, I do know. That's not true because if you just look at the votes, most people didn't feel that way. Right. So we are moving in a direction yeah. in terms of whether or not the particular way that that you know. Yes, and and probably because of the progress and because of the direction that hopefully we are moving in, this is this terrifying last gasp. Of yeah, like that. Yeah, but it's a long gasp. It is, you. man. What a gasp! <laughs> I You're was right. reading over the weekend this book, uh, Empire of Illusion. Um, I think it's by Chris Hedges. And this book was written in 2009. And he's talking all about the rise of selfie culture and the sort of uh, uh, the American soft spot, uh, soft spot for cults and, you know, going all in with charismatic leaders and celebrities. And you're thinking in 2009 that you've reached the sort of, he is around the time Michael Jackson died and he's sort of, everything he says, you think, well, yeah, that's obvious. It can't get any worse. And then, wow, this is a book that's already 10 years old. Whoever knew or could have imagined that we would have as one of these celebrity crooks, we'd have one of them as president. It's just unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure where it goes. And hopefully it is almost over, but uh, maybe not. Yeah. I'm curious because, I mean, here we are having this, like, in-depth political conversation. It's been, it's not even seven minutes into the podcast. <laughs> and you were talking about the projects that you're working on, which are these very, I mean, at the very least, a cult and a museum at the base of the Statue of Liberty. These are like, to say nothing of tone, they're like serious topics. So what is it like to continue to work and make projects like that when you're known for, I mean, do you consider like, like what would like RuPaul's Drag Race is like just a a runaway hit is I think how I would categorize it like it's but also I think it's I do think I mean without getting too heavy about it yeah. I mean I do think it's always been uh, essentially not ne the, the show ne not necessarily a political show but I do think Randy and I have always loved drag and I think it's always been more of an activist or um, a serious political force. Maybe not. Maybe, I mean, maybe activism and politics are the wrong words here, but I think it's always been a serious art form. And even in its most absurd and comedic iterations, I still think it's making a very serious point. And I think that the, often the humor behind drag gets mistakenly marginalized of being you know, trivial or just fun entertainment, when in fact it's very annihilating and culturally it's very powerful. And and so in a way, yes, some of these projects like Ministry of Evil and the Statue of Liberty are more pointedly political than we've done before. But I do think a lot of our work has always been engaged with the culture in quite radical, in quite radical yeah. ways. I mean... First of all, no argument. I'm a stand-up comic outside of this job, so no no argument for me that there is 
a strong political uh, reason to make art that's honest. You well, know, you know, especially Cam, if you're a queer person, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And Cam, I, I, again, you know, this year, the theme of the Met Ball is uh, Susan Sontag's Notes on Camp, which is itself a absurdly camp thing but camp is a really powerful force and the idea that's just a sort of a gay swishy coded sense of humor really fails to appreciate the power of camp because camp basically says fuck you to everything it's very punk um yeah, yeah. Mm. and i also just think that um what we do like part of what we do is we get in you know we try and make stuff about people or ideas that inspire us. And it used to be, it's, it still is, but not as much, but it used to be that many of those people were, were not included in the media that you saw or on TV. And so I think even just, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race, just, just by sort of, you know, pointing the camera at these amazing artists, um, it, it's, it's sort of, it includes, it's more inclusive. There are more people that are more visible. And visibility, I mean, it's corny, but visibility um, is contributes to progress. And so in that respect, I think, um, you know, it's not necessarily a political show, but it's an important one. Well, right. I think I wasn't even saying necessarily um, political or not political, but maybe mm -hmm. more, maybe the word more is like, it's just... Um, Overtly fun. It's just like an overtly fun yeah, and show, it, and it's um, goofy and silly, and that's why it maybe is so good at moving the needle because it's doing it in a secret way. Uh, you know, like that's and the number one goal. I mean, you know, well, entertaining people is really important to yeah. everybody who works on that show. You know, there and and it does take a village, and it's an amazingly talented village. And with, you know, RuPaul and Tom Campbell sort of at the, at the helm of it, sort of always drilling down to make things funnier and funnier and funnier. And then the cast brings the heart and brings all the other stuff. But, like, if it isn't funny, it's, it like, it kind of, why, why do it? At least, at least with, with uh, you know, uh, in terms of RuPaul's Drag Race, it's sort of like it has to deliver on that level. Yeah. I want to ask you guys about where, where you're from. Where are you from? Where are you both from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in England. Uh, I was like thinking, <laughs> hey. In a little town called that, Gosport. That guy has a bit of an accent. Yeah. yeah. No, that's great. But I'm, I'm an American now. Yeah? yeah. How, when did you move here? When, uh, 1982. I actually literally met Randy three days after arriving oh, wow. in the States. Okay. Where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. Yeah. Duh. And uh, yeah, Fenn and I met at, we were going to uh, NYU Graduate Film School. And we oh, met wow. sort of the first day and started working together then. And yeah. Fact, funnily enough, one of the first projects we had to do was make us uh, tell a story with a slideshow, right? And and the, the one Randy and I did was um, involve the Statue of Liberty. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. So you got there. Something, yeah, yeah it took a minute. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and how do you both identify uh, mm. as humans? Like, um, oh, either, gay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, gay? yeah, 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 gay. yeah, yeah. So, I'm here's what I'm asking. Here's yeah. why I'm asking that. It's like 82, New York. What a 
Wild, what a wild time to show up, specifically if you're coming from another country or like where you grew up in um, Jersey, big city, small town. What kind small of small town? Small, and then like New York City was like going to Europe or something. And like when that. did you show up there? Um, in New York, yeah, in '82. I mean, I yeah. I, yeah. What a wild time for you both to arrive from a small town or from a different place. Like that's such a yeah. What you 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 touch down, you met each other. What was the what were you doing at night? What were you doing mm. with your with Well, your we, time? Would used to, we used to uh, have an editing class that was like, oh, what was it, like six to eight or something? And I remember sometimes we'd just cut the editing class and go to the Pyramid Club for happy hour where they made these gin and tonics, I remember, or vodka tonics. But it was basically just a glass of vodka with a splash of tonic. I mean, I'd, <laughs> like, I'd never had anything quite like it in my life. And then what then? Well, we, I mean... We were in the heart of the East Village, so we were very, we got sucked into the drag scene. Like we, you know, the pyramid was just filled with drag queens. That's where we met so many people who we're still friendly with. Um, and we used to, so we used to do, go out clubbing. I mean, we, we didn't party as much as the people we hung out with. We always got up early in the morning. Um but it was a really exciting time to be in New York. It was like the art scene was exploding and you could, you know, these days in New York, you can't even afford to live there. I mean, it really was It was the art scene, time. wasn't it? That was a big thing that was really, felt like it was really, there was like a gallery on every corner and it, it didn't really sustain. I mean, I guess Jeff Koons came out of it and Keith Haring and Basquiat, but it, there were so many more artists and it, it's a funny thing that hasn't really been sort of documented really is is how the emphasis was on art and not so much on music. I mean, even though, you know, Madonna appeared around that time too, right? That yeah. is, that's really, well, I'm listening to, I just happen to be listening to Just Kids right now. Um, oh, yeah. I like the audiobook, mm -hmm. which is also read by Patti Smith. And um, it's, you know, this is a little bit like, I think some of the stuff is happening in like 76 or whatever. So mm, it's like uh -huh. a little bit prior to what you're talking about, but certainly setting the scene yes. for what then you're going to walk into. And I'm glad you pointed that out because it is like, it's very weird. Uh, Just Kids is, is her, like, I guess, memoir, but mostly about her life with Robert Maplethorpe and it's an interesting thing because I can't even tell if it feels name droppy like it's like I don't know if you've read it or anything but it's but like um it feels a bit name droppy like because actually cause, that's a funny thing though you can never Patty Smith has so much sort of credibility exactly and she's such a high priestess of everything <laughs> you can't accuse her of being like a name dropper or but she kind of was and she was like I mean I love her dearly but you know she was like a, a club kid right she was, it was all about getting in you know what club she was going to be in and who was sitting in the back room versus the front room and I think that's what stuck out to me is like I can't tell if it's name droppy because I can because this was definitely her life like it, you know definitely all the people that she knows and had uh, relationships with. And there does seem to be, it's like this strong artist community um, mm -hmm. that where it's like, oh no, this is just everybody knew everybody and, and was working together. I feel like um, that's like not the vibe when I go to New York. I mean, I certainly know other comics, but well, it I feels like an 70s. industry town in a really different way. Yes. Yeah. You know, it yeah. does not feel like a, 
punk rock uh, mm. art town to me anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think in the 70s, it was definitely a much smaller group of people. I mean, I really do think that it was a sort of a handful of people who did know each other. And I think by the 80s, it was getting exponentially bigger. I think, you know, downtown club culture had become kind of... um a business and or, or, or a thing. It wasn't just a few artists. Oh, like, that's interesting. Let's open Be- a club, you know? Because a lot of the 70s, like, they, it, you know, people were reading about it. Younger people were reading about what was going on and the explosion, the Velvet Underground, and it became this kind of an Andy Warhol. And I think, I think people were drawn to New York. And so it became, uh, you know, by the 80s, it was like, it was this... Open door policy. You could come there and you could become famous and you could become an artist. You could, you know, sort of do anything. And what was the interaction like? I just don't know the answer to this. Um, Gay folks. Well, I guess that this also could mean a a bunch of different things. Because, like, gay men, I guess, is specifically who I'm asking about. Like, gay men um, in the East Village, like, mixing in with how much overlap is there between, like, the straight bar where there's punk going on and the gay bar down the street where there's, like, drag going on. In your guys' experience, did you feel like it was all mixed in, like queerness was accepted, or did you feel like we were kind of I in think our own there, places? I think there was some of that, especially on the east side. Mm. Because I, I remember that, like, we, like, the, the west side, just for a minute, but there was, like, the west side gays were different than were. the east side gays. It, it was right? like we a generational, like all, yes. it was a territorial divide and a generational divide. Not that it was hostility, it was just the west village gays felt of different generation. Mm-hmm. So the west village was, those are the older gays who've made it? Is that what I'm, I'm the, inferring? Yes, yes. Kind of, I mean, it's, we're all speaking How in I generalities, but, yes. Yes. but... Sweeping generalities, so and don't then, anybody attack us because we're East, just having a conversation. No, no, we're just chatting culture. No, but, vague, yes. cu- vague culture. <laughs> Nobody's going to no. take this personally. Oh, they will. Uh, oh, yes, they will. <laughs> well, no, because I'm going to defend... I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is back you up by saying I think that that same thing still exists like in every city that I go yeah. to. Kind I mean, of, it, yes. it exists here in LA. It's like West East Hollywood and... And East Side gays? Like East Side, literally like queer. Like queers live on the east side, gays live on the west side. Yeah, Almost I, to that when you, kind of when level. You said, when but, you initially, at the, let's back this up to the beginning hmm. of the interview, because I kind of identify more as queer than gay. Yeah, that's. So, I'm, I'm so curious about you know like weird right, words people you? use, things right. like that. Yeah. Well, and and I think the so the East Village was like more punk, right? Mm-hmm. And the West Village was more clones, yes. right? The, the West Village was more village people, YMCA. Mm-hmm. And the East Village was more Book of Love or uh, uh, mm, Delight. Delight, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, different clothes, even. Like, different clothes, oh, yeah. like, different, like, because that's how I, f- I feel. I mean, one thing that is, I think, such a common misconception is, like, that we all live in the same neighborhood still and that we're all consuming the exact same culture or, mm-hmm. like, have the same gods. And, I, you know, we just really don't. And that's what's cool. That's what I love about doing this podcast is talking to people. Like, well, like where do you... What neighborhoods or areas in? Where do you live now? I, I live in Los Los Feliz. Oh, so and, do I. Yeah. So so yeah. my neighborhood is that is Silver Lake. It's yeah. the east. I'm an East Side person. Yeah. Like I, I think we've always been East Side. Yeah. More East Side, even though you're in Hancock Park. Which What's like you, I, Well, Hancock Park's like undefinable. What is yeah. that? That's, I, that's that's like living in New Jersey. Yeah. That's or, just an undefinable like a nice place. Of, but no. yeah, East. So East Side queers versus like West Side gays. Like that's. 
that's very real. It's you would not you would not maybe go to the same events and you maybe wouldn't watch the same TV. You oh know? my god! Mm-hmm. You know, and, and going back, you know, I'm just thinking about Fire Island. There was Cherry Grove, versus. which was versus the Pines, and mm-hmm. the Pines was like Calvin Klein and beautiful minimal interiors and. The, it was sort of money gaze. We were more Cherry Grove. <laughs> Cherry Grove was caftans standing around the piano banging out show And tunes. also more integrated uh, with, with gays and lesbians. Mm. Like Cherry Grove, at least 100 years ago, I'm talking, because we only went there a couple times. Yeah. But. Well, this is going to be my next great follow-up question. Okay, this era that we're talking about, where are lesbians? Are the, 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 Do you know those people? Are they around you? Are they in the same clubs or bars mm. at all? Well, it goes... I mean, I can only speak, I just haven't been to a nightclub, mm, practically in living memory. But like, <laughs> like in, in like but 82, you showed oh, in, in it was, was, it was, everyone like, was, it was all one. See, was it all one, yeah, one group of people? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way also that's a natural consequence of, uh, as Randy says, visibility, that as we become more visible, as we become more accepted, so nuanced, rather than just being in one bucket, you know, everyone was just like, oh, they're queer, you know, gay, lesbian, trans. Everyone was basically in one bucket. Mm. And I think it's a measure of the success in a way and of the cultural acceptance that we've been able to recognize each other and the differences within our community, you know. There's yeah. tri- lots of little tribes. Right. Mm. I mean, I like I, I grew up in Chicago. So when I would have been like, a, you know, in my 20s, at a time when I would have left the house at night, <laughs> to do to do an event, <laughs> uh, like lesbians and gay men did not go to the same neighbor, like the same hangouts or neighborhoods, like maybe at all. There was like Andersonville's where lesbians went, and then the gay men went to Boys Town, and then like the hip art queers with weird haircuts probably lived in Logan Square. It's like literally three places that maybe yeah. didn't even touch each other. So I'm curious about that. I mean, I think it was it was kind of like that in New York. I mean, it really was. And then, but I feel like we were sort of traveling. We were spending most of our time on the east side, but there was like Henrietta's, which we would go to with our lesbian friends. Like, it, you know, but Henrietta was, Hudson? Yeah, yeah. I, I went there recently <laughs> because I was just, you know, there is no dedicated lesbian bar in LA I heard, anymore. I Yeah. There's no, nothing. No. Like, I mean, there's, it's like, it's not like we're like not invited or whatever, but like Henrietta Hudson's like, this is like a lesbian bar. Mm-hmm. There's like a triangle on the, you know, thing yep. and everything. This is a lesbian bar. Um, but that doesn't exist. So I went there into the cubby hole and. Yeah, we used to go to the cubby yeah, hole. Yeah. And then but, also just a stone wall, just like on a little, a little walking, uh, walking around mm-hmm. lesbian pub crawl of two bars. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I've been to Henrietta Hudson. Yeah, is Henry Henrietta Hudson's is still there? Still there, yeah. yeah. Or at least as of last year. I've, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, still there. Cubby Hole still there. Yeah, which is cool. It's kind of weird how like um, I don't want to get political. No, I don't get political. No, no. Come but just, just this, this how important it is for different groups to kind of identify themselves and to be visible and. And I think we've spent the last sort of 20 years with um, many, you know, not just gays and lesbians, but all the different iterations becoming more empowered and more visible. And then you get to that point where it's like, okay, it starts, you know, is there a point, when do all those groups like uh, – 
focus their energy as equally on the group as the individuals. I think we're kind of experiencing that in politics right now, this this potential threat of of identity politics sort of, you know, challenging, you know, especially when you have the the real threat, the the threat, the the name that will not be spoken, like that's the threat, you know? And, and so, you know, I hope that we're, as we've all become, you know, the job's never finished. We endlessly need more visibility mm. and to be empowered more. But, you know, sometimes it seems like, uh, um, um, it doesn't seem like, but some, but but it's important for us all equally to sort of uh, be as um, passionate about the group as we are about the individuals. Does that make sense? It does. I think I have I have a follow up question because this is so when I hear when I hear people like bring up uh, just the phrase identity, identity politics, politics. It, makes me, it makes me like have like a physical reaction because so often I see it coming from somebody who is white and privileged. Well, and also they are, they Guil- are guilty, but also they're operating from a, um, I would, if, if that person then said, so we should all operate as if the most important person is the black trans woman. Mm-hmm. Like if, if that person then said, so we have to go for so we have to go as far out in in terms of protecting our family like we have to reach for the person who has who's the most in danger um then i would be like yeah cool like i can erase my own identity if if it means i'm making space for someone with less privilege i i never hear that second sentence and but- that's why it makes me lose my mind cuz it usually feels like it's like we're all at this place can we love each other and i'm like well some people are being left out of this concept. Mm. Which I, I totally understand and agree and support that. And also there is this, this threat to our democracy that's looming and, and will take advantage of, of any, anything and anyone they can. It's like we're, we're sort of, and that's who I believe we may potentially be at war with. You know, so so I absolutely it, it, it no no one should or hopefully knock wood will be left behind, but you know I think I I think there's uh, um, I think we're at war, and it's important to identify the enemy. Right. I mean, I I like I think that. I think this is the what we're having this conversation right now and this like small debate or whatever that we're having right now like I just I wish that we could I mean I think I feel as strongly about it I think as you do which is that yes. I feel like we're at war too and I feel like I like I see I I just I feel that some people are on the front lines and it's like I I mean I'm I'm not like super wealthy famous human and I am, I have, I live in a nice place and, you know, like I have, I am so aware of the places that I came from and also the people that are part of our community that are not me. And I mm-hmm. just, I feel like, man, I wish, I wish I, uh, I just wish that for that second sentence, 
That's all I want. I just want that second sentence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of somebody saying, and by the way, when I say, like, we don't get to have our our identities matter so much, the identity that, like, I will protect the most is the most vulnerable. Yeah. But, and if that ju- if just that existed, I would, yeah. like, relax. It, my, all my defenses would go down. Mm-hmm. I know my body would change. Like, mm-hmm. if I just want, so if there's any white men that are running for office that are listening, just <laughs> say that second sentence and I will calm down. You can get, uh-huh. I will be on your side. Uh-huh. But Does that I make think, sense? But, yeah. I, but I also think it's not necessarily an anti-identity politics stance. It's more like a pro, like, like, you know, time to be really strategic. It's like, you know, it makes me sick, like seeing the evangelicals, like sort of race to have their Bibles and boobies signed by Donald Trump. But it also demonstrates like, that's what that's what we're all up against. Anyway, we shouldn't mm. be talking about politics. It's, but I love, I, we, I mean, I think so this depressing. is. It's so depressing. That's all I ever do. Well, but I do think. Is I it mean, all you ever do? Is this, is this a lot. Is Randy's this a, a political junkie. This is a conversation Randy, you have Randy in your daily life. Randy goes to sleep with, with CNN on. And I'm no, like, no, Randy, no, no, don't no. do that. It's not good for is you. Is that real? Do you go to sleep with CNN No, on? just sometimes when I'm out of town. <laughs> just sometimes if I'm a, what in a hotel What a, like, truly, I, I. I think I really agree with you, Benton. Like, what a just to have that going in your brain while you're unconscious. Yeah. Oh my god. But we're all doing the best we can. Like, we really are trying. We're trying to figure out what are the solutions. I also think, you know what? Uh, To me, uh, the other side, like, as long as you and I don't then leave this conversation and go, like, by the way, uh, we have a difference of opinion here, so let's never talk again. And your candidate isn't my candidate. If if we, I think we can also have conversation, even get riled up, and then agree at the end of the day, like we're united. And I, I think we're also living in a time where we forget that because everything gets so escalated. We oh, forget for sure. that you can just mm-hmm. still be friends no, with that sure, person. But, but you know. we've all been we've all been played in a sense that this person is is a master of divisiveness, and he is stoking yeah. hatred, and he is telling lies, and he is committing treason and an, in, an incredible number of crimes on a daily basis. And that he is, like a cult leader, has this enormous amount of people in his thrall. It, it, it's, it's staggering and somewhat, I mean, I do find it overwhelming to think at times because I, I know a couple of Trump people and that there's no talking to them. They have no capacity to... Whereas on the other side, on you know, we can have a we we have we can be diverse and have differences of opinion, but this feels also like a time where we really have to look at what we're up against. Just like Randy says, because there is this sort yeah. of nightmarish, cult-like. I mean, I thought Trump was bad enough, but as I, I I'm a religious listener of Rachel Maddow and. The sheer scale of corruption, the sheer number of criminals surrounding this person is jaw-dropping. I oh, mean, yeah. there isn't, there is no... I mean, the, <laughs> you're like, the person that trained you maybe shouldn't be the bad guy in Angels in America. Like, that's maybe like exactly. a sign that you're, if, if, in a, if like a nine-hour play uh, right. was written about how you're, how evil your mentor is, then like, right. maybe you shouldn't be president. But, um, <laughs> but <laughs> I... Well, I feel like um, I do feel like the the like the rallying is going on. I look mm-hmm. at somebody like AOC, and I'm like I'm like 
I am so proud of her. I don't even agree. I don't even, it's not even an agreement thing. Mm-hmm. It's not even like a, yeah. it's like, I can't believe what she's been able to achieve. The clarity. Like, oh my the God. The incisiveness. And in a way, it's a high compliment that the, the Republicans have identified as uh-huh. her as their number one enemy. And because they're right that she is their greatest threat. And she's, crushing it like crushing it and I'm so impressed I'm so impressed with her wherewithal so I try to still I can't try to keep that in my mind too like how does this person even exist like literally like but we need a few more AOCs sure yeah I think that I think we're getting them. Yeah. Like I think we got her, you know, mm-hmm. and from from zero, from zero to one is like <laughs> yes. a one hundred percent increase or whatever, you know. Like it's yeah. a big change. And Mayor Pete, yeah, Mayor Pete, did you see any of that um, mm-hmm. town hall? Yeah, so you should you should Google some of him. From got some big stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to talking about how you started your careers because I feel like um, first of all, I love that. You brought your full personalities and all your opinions. Awesome. Um, I do want to know a little bit about how you went from film school into, you know, getting jobs, things like that. What was, did you partner as a production company immediately? Did you know you wanted to work together? How did it, what was yeah, the next step? Yeah, we knew step? we wanted to work together pretty quickly. Um, and then, then we had this sort of detour experience because we decided that, you know, when we were at film school so long ago, there really wasn't a, an independent film industry. This was before Sex, Lies, and Videotape. There, there were no easy ways. There still aren't, but there were. There was no alternative to Hollywood. Mm. And we recognized uh, that it would be very hard to actually be working filmmakers and doing our own thing. But then we had this sort of harebrained idea that it might be easier to be pop stars so, so, <laughs> Randy, I right? love this, and I did not know this. And I'm very happy. So we bought a drum machine, a synthesizer, and I have the rare gift of being basically tone deaf. So I have no musical ability, um, but Randy does. Randy can sing a tune, and and hardly, I figured like hardly. pop music is only a little bit of music, and it's a whole lot of packaging and image and what have you. You know. I mean, you're not you're not wrong. Yeah. Yes. Right. No, we. <laughs> but unfortunately, in terms of our. Uh, career um, <laughs> as the pop tarts. Well, I think the Pet Shop Boys somewhat took our place. You mm-hmm. know, I think it was a race to, and they, they uh, um, and we were camper than the Pet Shop Boys, which is how long did hard this, to imagine. How long was this what you were doing? Um, four four years, years, pretty much. But what we yeah. were successful at was getting d- deals. We got a couple publishing deals. We saved all the money. A couple and, of record deals. Yeah, and, and so... World of Wonder was built out of, like, the first piece of furniture we bought was, like, a fax machine, and we invested everything into World of Wonder. So the fabulous Pop-Tarts was And it did pay off, uh, actually, weirdly, uh, about 25 years later, uh, Armand Van Helden, you know, Armand Van Helden. Um, Who is this? I, no. He's kind of like a dance this. DJ kind of um, big in Europe. And uh, he sampled one <laughs> of our- Say no more. <laughs> sampled one of our, he sampled our first record, our first single. Whoa. Without telling us. And he had a huge hit with it in Europe. And it ended up in the, the trailer for um, the Zohar, the Zohan, right? Some, some movie with- Adam what? Sandler, the, the Adam Zohan yeah, movie. I know what you're talking It's in the trailer. So we were sitting in bed one so night. Weird. And we're like, that sounds like our song. And it was. Oh yeah. my God. So, yeah. And, it, and he took all, he took the whole melody, Sampled the, the vocals, entire song. So, so we made some money. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. For, you know, whatever. Mm. Wow. It, it helped us understand why people are in the music business because it can be quite profitable. Wow. And we also uh, produced RuPaul's first solo album. Mm-hmm. Which is what? It's called Star Booty. What, uh, <laughs> what year are we talking about? Oh, God. Um, 80. 80. I don't know. Four, five, six. Six, were you Sorry. still operating as a musical act at that yeah. point or yeah. had you no yeah, still yeah. still same time yeah operating yeah, might be the wrong one well I'm, <laughs> I'm curious as if you had to already switched to like producers or if you were uh, well yeah. we weren't really music producers either <laughs> we were all just doing our own thing like like cool. that was back at the time when I mean there was no YouTube there was public access we were big fans of public access we in fact our first the first TV series we sold was us repackaging Manhattan Public Access because we used to watch it all the time and we were friends with all the people who had public access shows it was like the precursor of, of YouTube and we kind of had a, a, like, that was our first hit on TV. We, it was for Channel 4 in the UK. And lots of our friends were in it, and RuPaul was in it, and he he was a roving reporter um, in the streets of New York. Um, and, yeah, so it's uh, so much of what we did then is not that. It's like six degrees from what we do now, really. I find that to be true, and, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I haven't, like, fully had all the things connect yet, but I can see already that it's like, you don't know the seeds you're sowing necessarily when you're, when you're doing the thing. That yeah, it's always the same, you know, like you, it's, it's a bit like looking at a picture of a baby and then you see the adult person and you're like, Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> yeah, the totally. same person. And I think that, yeah. you're. But also yeah. in the business that we're in, I think, I think, the longer you do it, like it's designed for people not to survive. I mean, it's really, it's a tough business and whether you're in front of the camera or behind it. And I think, you know, and there's so much competition and I think it's, you know, it's just the longer you're around, the the more, not necessarily success, but that sort of, that you can build something. And so I think from the beginning to wherever your career goes, you do have to have a kind of strong sense of self and a strong notion of what your voice is. And if you've got that, then you, and you've got some kind of um, grit to stick around and not listen to the noise. At least that's that's been our experience. Yeah. I think I think that's Rue. You know, Rue certainly. You know, Rue's been around for like thirty years. Right. And if you look at videos of him back in the 80s when we're all in New York he's saying everybody says love his message has been completely consistent yeah. his point of view has been if you completely can't love consistent. yourself yeah how the hell are you gonna love somebody else well the other thing uh, that I that kind of speaks to your point that I didn't realize when I started like I, you know I started in college and then like was doing improv and my the first time I ever did stand up um I like email. I don't know. I was very gutsy. I emailed the people that had the biggest show in Boston, which is where I was living at the time, like the most popular, like cool, hip show. And I was just like, I definitely do stand up. By the way, I had no, like zero times was the number awesome. I had done it before. Uh, but I was working professionally as, impro- as an improviser. I was really young and just had like bravado. So I showed up and did five minutes and it went like how your first five minutes goes or whatever. It was fun. It was fine, whatever. But I didn't realize like, more people aren't added 
to the mix. Like there's people added that are younger or newer or whatever, but the, the people you start with, you are with them forever. Like I know those guys now, you know, uh-huh. like I still, like I didn't realize when I lied to them <laughs> that I was like going to be some amazing comic that I would have to see them for like the next 15 years, you know, like, or, or whatever. And I think that that's another thing, you know, you're talking about meeting Rue then and like having these early experiences still working together now. It's, that's my inclination is mm-hmm. that you're, you do work with people for whatever, 30 for, years. You yep. just, it's just, there's not more people. People aren't slotted in at the top, like with uh-huh. 30 years experience and, that you don't know. You and, just know them. At and point. they're going to tend to call the people who not are, not only are the most talented, but also are going to show up and do the work because a lot of people, oh, that's right, yeah. a lot of the, there are some people who are talented who don't show up or show up, you know, and it's like, oh my you know, it's like a pain to get the work out of them or whatever. So, yeah, it's all part of the same, at least our experience. I mean, there are there are incredibly difficult people who survive, but <laughs> we, we're in the life is too short category. So you went from making that, uh, I guess maybe clip clip show for mm-hmm. for Channel Four, and what was the next step? Were you still living in New York at the time? Yeah, no, because we uh, we'd moved out of our sixth floor walk up in East Village, and we'd got this loft, and the front part was the office, and the back part was where we lived. So when that series came to an end, we were like, we need something else because we got to pay the rent, and. Um, so it was sort of, uh, um, I think the next big thing we did was um, L.A. Stories, right? When we, the L.A. riots happened and and triggered by the Rodney King, that amazing, horrific Rodney King videotape. And we were like, there seems to be something going on, like this whole sort of, uh, at the time people called it the camcorder revolution. And so we, we came out here to L.A. and we gave, ooh, like, 10 people video cameras and for a year they made video diaries about their lives living in LA it was called LA stories and we wove them all these stories together into a three-hour documentary for the BBC oh my god that's an incredibly cool project (laughs) I like love that it was that's awesome what an interesting yeah and one of the one of the people in uh, I mean uh, they're all they're all incredible people one of the people um, as a helicopter news reporter now who's no, who's Zoe Tur, who's Zoe is Zoe and Marika are the parents of Katie, Katie Tur. Who wow. The, the, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Look and, at the, that's also, I love the DIY um, aesthetic that you are talking yeah. about too, because I think about, you know, something, and actually even <laughs> Drag Race has had like a huge evolution Um because it's the piece of your work I'm like the most familiar with, like from the way it looked. Uh, <laughs> yes, at the beginning that's right. to how yeah. it looks now. Huge evolution. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a face. What's the face? Well, that first season we call it the first. Yeah, the the lost season. Right? The lost season. A little Vaseline. Yes. yes. <laughs> that. It's famous. But, but like that's 
But it's all punk, really, isn't it? It's yeah, all that makes of, sense. It, what it has, the DNA that it has in common is this sort of do-it-yourself aesthetic. Also, you saying uh, we loved public access. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to shit on the show, but like no. early, you know, this this the way it's staged. Like I, I can see a connection there yeah. in terms of like the, um, the openness and like the we're just like you that public access brings to the table that makes it so fun to experience. And then early seasons of, of like now you watch it and it looks, I think a little out of reach. Like it looks like the cameras are so like, everything's so high definition and everything's Mm -hmm. it's so uh, sleek that it's like, well, this isn't my house or whatever. This isn't Mm -hmm. my bar down the street, but like initially it kind of looked like that. This is a bar I could go to. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, the control room was in a closet. The first <laughs> there season, you go. For real. Yeah. But like I think that's rooms. what's been so exciting about YouTube coming along is that it's proven to, that actually production values don't really matter that much. Yeah. You know, if you have a strong voice or, or a point of view or can, uh, just compelling, that's all that really matters. And, and I think, you know, I love the way Drag Race looks, don't get me wrong, but I, I just think that always it's about what's at the core of it is compelling voices and stories and and often the most compelling are the ones that have been excluded because no one has heard them till this point because the mainstream so-called mainstream media has sort of said well you don't belong and i think drag has obviously drag has always existed when drag race hasn't created anything it's taken this existing pre-existing medium and just given it a slightly larger platform yeah, I mean, I think that's actually why, and like, I I mean, this maybe wasn't intentional, this was maybe just the budget that you had, but I actually think that's why it's kind of nice that it started. Yeah. Not right? not flashy and shiny. Because that would feel, I think that would feel, um, like, well, disrespectful almost. It couldn't have To just happened. pop into, you know, like, like yeah, it couldn't have happened. Because no, if they were there spending was nothing, a huge yeah, amount of money on right. it, no TV executives wouldn't leave it alone. They would have to, like, you know, yeah. it would have to make, it like everything else, you know. What a weird, what a weird um, show to also make at, in terms of the technology change that that y'all have had to absorb. Like you mean just like high definition, like high definition, <laughs> like high definition, and also just the way that we, like the cameras are so nice. Our TVs mm-hmm. are like prohibitively like you cannot watch some shows because it's like prohibitively terrible to watch this movie from this era or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how how have you dealt with that? Like, does that feel like an interesting thing to absorb as a show? Well, I think we're really good. We spend a lot of energy on lighting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because it is, because you do, I mean, you want to be respectful and you want people to look good on that show. And yeah. that's their art form. So, so I think it's good that the show's evolved and it is glossier as the whole sort of world of drag has sort of become more, you know, embraced. I think it's sort of, uh, I think, you know, we do sort of make an effort to, to, to make it feel a little more aspirational, which, mm. I mean, the weird thing is we are obsessed. Like, I think we consider ourselves documentarians so much of even, even our glossiest, you know, like our Bravo shows, um, like million dollar listings or backyard envy, they're they the reason we're attracted to something or at the heart of everything we do. And when I say we, I mean like lots of other people because there's like 
we there are all these incredibly talented people who work at World of Wonder. There are like lots of like, you know, artists who work there. But it's all about authenticity. It's like that's why we were obsessed with public access. That's why we make documentaries. It's it's in every even the glossiest of what we do is all trying to get to the heart of like the authentic nature of an individual or of a scene or whatever. So, and I think, you know, it's fun. That's the kind of jigsaw puzzle of, of, of balancing those things. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Sort of, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're balancing in, in authenticity. That's also something that I think, uh, every, but he's been balancing because our phones have gotten so rad at obscuring what we look like, at also showing what we look like. Like our cameras are so good, but then we can filter the shit out of whatever and we can put it up. And so I just think this is like what you're talking about doing, trying to figure out what your authentic, your authentic voice is, balancing that with something that's entertaining. That's like, it doesn't even matter who's listening to that. You could, you could, who's listening to this? You could be like a lawyer or whatever. You actually have still been trying to balance that in the last like ten years because our our lives have changed so much in terms of what we're presenting. Hmm. Um, you know, like if 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 Drag Race didn't exist, um, queens would still have to have, have different makeup now because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. would be sharing pictures elsewhere. You know, um, so it's like yours yeah. is a great example of that, but it's like something we've all been balancing how to how to stay we've all got to be honest. ready for high definition right <laughs> gotta be ready for high definition <laughs> but also we're you know it, we're we're in also an age of illusion and i think that it, i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing at all i mean and i just just because you know the film you're making is always you just think of everything in through that filter but like you know the statue of liberty it looks like it's this massive thing and it's hollow and that isn't to say that it's fake. It's just there is an element of illusion to it. And I think that is so particular to our culture. You know, I think that's the whole American experience is to some degree about illusion, not necessarily about faking something, but about creating something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. And creating is just uh, creating an image and putting an image out there. And Absolutely, at this point, anybody can do that with a phone and Instagram and face tuning. I mean, the face tuning features are just incredible how you can change how you look. It's true. It's pretty amazing. It's true. I mean, in my in my particular uh, side of things, it's an interesting it's an interesting time to be a stand up comic because your face has to actually be like so honest. You, I think you cannot. We, uh, I don't think you can get work like a an actor could and not, and not, not talk about it. Like you have to, you have to be pretty honest about that. I also think you can't really like face tune your, your photos and then show up on stage and look really different Uh than that. Like it's just a very specific (laughs) time because I I think like you have to be able to use all the different face, the parts of your face to make expressions. Mm -hmm. You have to match up to your promotional stuff. And we're living in an era where like, there is a bit of a divide there Uh between what you're presenting and what you actually are showing up like. And for comics, it's like, Tough. You got to be trusted. Yeah. You got to be a trusted source. There's mm-hmm. literally, otherwise you, none of your jokes will work. So that's different. Like for instance, mm. 
like Trixie Mattel is like in a slightly different category. Like she can show up <laughs> looking like fully. Well, uh, right. I'm, you oh, know, Bianca Del Rio, yeah, you know, Bianca's exactly. like, I'm a clown in a gown. And yeah. it's like, that is an outfit. That is like a jester's yeah. uniform. It, it is a license to say and do anything, right. you know. Right. So how do you feel um, this point in your career and like, You've got all this other stuff coming up, but but you've also had some real success. I mean, how do you feel, like, for instance, if you popped in at, at a drag con or something and saw, like, the effect? And it's obviously, it's I'm not saying that you are the creators of drag. You've already said that you are not that. But I just mean seeing the effect of a show that you've made. Like, what, is that, what does that feel like for the two of you? Mm. Or, or any other work that you bring out that has, like, some large effect. You on know, people. I I don't I don't think we think I think we think about the work more than the impact or mm. the effect. And it's so much work to do the work. It's like <laughs> when you're done doing the work, you know, you're busy putting the kids to bed or something like that. So so maybe maybe I would feel less this way if we had no success. You know what I mean? So maybe I'm not expressing enough gratitude, but it really does seem like, I, I, but I think even the, the many years that we've been unsuccessful, we've always been about the work. Mm. Like, just because that's what turned us on. And so- It is all about the work, really. Yeah. It's and, always like, you remember that ad? What was that ad for? Time to make the donuts? And there was this person- That was for Dunkin' Donuts. All right. It's just <laughs> time, time to make, make the, the donuts. donuts. It's always time to make the donuts. And that's the kind of like- I mean, it's it's great if people get something from it, but it's just time to make the donuts, you mm. know? Maybe we have different experiences of this because I am the public face of the thing I create. Yes. Mm. And so that's also a very different thing. Like maybe some other people are getting some feedback that you – because it's, it's not even feedback you seek out. It's like I'm bombarded by positive feedback. Not in – bombarded sounds <laughs> – like it's, well, that's but it nice. does no, feel it's sometimes you, aggressive. Like, yeah, it does feel sometimes like overwhelming because I'm just like a dumb idiot that then goes home and like has a dog or whatever. You know, like I know what my life is and I know who I am. And so when people are grateful to your face, sometimes you're like, I can't even process this. I'm just a normal guy just like you. But that might be something you don't, you don't experience as much because you're not the faces of the thing mm -hmm. that you do, of the things that you do. I think that's true. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And, and, I also think, you know, there are, you know, there are just so many other people that, that you know, the things that, many of the things that we make are with many other people. Mm -hmm. So um, we just, you know, we pay the rent on the building mm -hmm. and make sure we just got a popcorn machine at World of Wonder. <laughs> Pretty I love, exciting. I love that it sounds like it sounds like you uh you know started hoping for like long a long-term collaborative feeling from each other and then also from the projects that you're working on it. It sounds like you've gotten that. I mean I've heard you say a number of times how how awesome the people are that you work with and like how how connected you feel to that. That's an awesome you know you're you're business owners and you feel grateful for the people that you work with, that's a rare position for business owners. You know, I don't, really? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if everybody, I don't know if I always hear everybody on like the fortune 500 being like, do you know what I love about my job? <laughs> the, the like, 
incredible team I have around me. I hear that from people in our industry a little bit more. Well, I think part of the, the reason, I, I think that's part of what makes us able to do what we do and why World of Wonder is so special and why we continue to be independent. It's that whole thing of like, you know, and even the fact, we were just talking about this recently, like that we do, um, we call them docu uh, docu-series or reality series, and we do documentaries. It's that mix of doing things that I think makes it a different place for people to work at. And a lot of people there have aspirations of being filmmakers. And when we can, and they bring that to whatever they're doing, you know, whether they get the opportunity, you know, there's a number of like people who are directing documentaries for us at World of Wonder, or whether they're show running and they're actually filmmakers you know it's there aren't a lot of places in LA I think where you can do that uh, unless you're doing it completely on your own which becomes this whole other sort of burden so maybe what you're saying is keeping the focus like on the art sort of thing sort of side of things also a yeah. little bit when we can or the yes. skill like having yes. the skill being the focus that's pretty cool for for um I'm gonna send you on your way in just a moment, but for uh for one last hurrah as we before we go out into our days, I wanted to ask you both if you could shout out a queero, which is like person or it could be a place you went or something. Oh queero. Oh queero. I get it. I was like I keep on thinking of like Cheerio it's like a cereal. Queer I know, but I was like Hero. Right. It was a portmanteau. I finally got it. Queero. I'm so sorry. Oh, yes, I've been thinking about it a whole Can it be a place? Yeah, it can be. Okay, yes. Well, because oh. the, the Queero for me would be the pyramid. Yeah. Because the pyramid was this club in the East Village on Avenue A between 6th and 7th Street. And um, we just met so many amazing people there from Lady Bunny to Sister Dimension to drag queens and artists and Ethel Eichelberger, uh, Ethel Eichelberger. And Fenton and I used to go there for happy hour on a regular basis. And it, even to this day, when I think about a night in the pyramid, it's like more exciting than like going to the Academy Awards or the Emmy Awards. <laughs> There's more stars there than you'll ever find at a red carpet in Hollywood. And it no longer exists? You know, I think it, it still it does, does exist, there? but it's Actually, not the same. Is it? Yeah. 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 Well, I guess my queero would be is RuPaul, but also I, I always go I go back further than that though to uh, when I was six years old, and the I just my life changed when I saw Batman and Robin on TV. You know, Adam oh my West god, and this Bert is Ward. awesome! Nobody said Batman that, and Robin yet. That's absolutely, my queeros because it was the first time I was like, oh, there's a whole other world out there first of all i never seen anything as camp in my life actually before and certainly pretty much since really and um it was just the color it was a crazy ridiculous show but it i think has been a singular influence and i think uh i was just reading there was some article about adam west in the you know on the doing the rounds just recently um he's kind of a great guy and I just love that show. So that's my... I'm sure the answer to this is yes. But <laughs> have you been to the, like, Bat Cave? Yes! What was your, what was course. that experience like? Oh, I'll say for listeners, they're in Griffith Park here. 
Um, and there's like a there's like a our central park or whatever. There's a mm. huge area of open land uh, that's also mountainous here in LA. And in there is the the bat the cave that the Batmobile like drove out of at the beginning at of the, the beginning. show. No, 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 you can no, no, go no, no, see no, no, it. It's yes. very easy, very easily accessible from trails. And instantly recognizable. And that, the first time I went there, I had no idea. I wasn't even looking for it. I didn't. I was oh like, my oh god. my I'm god! I'm basically about to burst into tears. I had chills. <laughs> I had chills. I was like, <gasps> you know. Oh my um, god! So yeah. Did you take a photo? Did, what did you do? Did I you have, walk into it? What I did walked, you do? I walked into it and through it. Oh my god! Disappointingly, dear listeners, it doesn't lead to the back. It just leads to another beautiful open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, that I'm so glad to hear that story. That is that's going to carry me through the rest of the day. Just thinking about you discovering that. Well, thank you so much, thank Randy you. and Fenton. I really appreciate you being here, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. 